Hey, welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Hillary, and we have wonderful Rose. Hey. Thanks for coming on. And we are doing the Bible Overview series today. And this one, which books are we talking about um, for this series, uh, this session and episode, Rose? Which books are we doing? So we're going to be covering a bit of David to Through All the Kings, so... We'll go over first and second Samuel. Yeah. First and second uh, Kings and then first and second Chronicles is kind of wrapped in there. So yep. yeah. Woohoo. <laughs> awesome. All right, well let's get into it then, eh? Um yeah. do you wanna just give us a quick uh uh background on the last episode that we talked about so people can uh, if they were have been listening, that they know they're on the right episode. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so our last episode, we were talking a bit about um, the judges' time frame. So basically, the Israelites um, have this amazing partnership with God. They, uh, God made a covenant with Abraham in the very first episode. And so basically, he promised um, uh, ultimately for them to be a light to the nations. Mm. And so... That was like a great commission over their lives. Um, And so they finally got to go into the promised land. And so last week we were hashing out how how that panned out for the Israelites. Mm. So... Yeah, because they they got to the promised land. They Mm -hmm. sent people into the promised land. And they're still put in in the too hard box for a little bit. Yep. (laughs) That happens a lot in life, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. We we pray and we pray and we know that God's promised us this and that. And then when, when it shows up, sometimes we're going... No, that mountain's too big. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't do that. And it's actually God answering our prayer a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. You know, just saying, you know, have faith in me. You know, I've got. The, I brought you this. You know, we we talked about this. This this promise is for you and your people. Mm-hmm. Just take it. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, because basically, it really was a relationship between God and the Israelites. And while they were in the land, I think, um, I think, you know, we're we actually have Christmas coming up, and. Um, like oftentimes I think I think back to when I was a kid and mm. you know, it's almost like the focus is so much on the gift yeah. and you kind of forget your parents in the process. You're like, Oh yeah, <laughs> so like, true. get you know, this awesome toy I've yeah. been waiting for. Let's let's be honest. <laughs> Does anybody listening to this podcast actually read the card first when you unwrap a gift? Or do you just <laughs> unwrap the gift and the card's just sort of an afterthought? <laughs> mm-hmm. I know, and and so it is kinda of like this thing of like um, I really think the Israelites kind of like lost sight of God in mm. the process. They were so focused and wrapped up, <laughs> literally, <laughs> in the gift instead of the giver. Well, and I do have a, um, I don't know which button it is. Oh, there we go. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wrapped up in the gift. <laughs> but yeah, so they, um, yeah, we're just so focused on that. Um, so when we were going through Judges, um, basically we... We see over and over again the authors mentioning like they did what they saw fit. They did what was right in mm. their own eyes, and and so they kind of they're like, yeah, we got the promised land, and so they kind of forgot. Oh, like it really is supposed to be about relationship with God. Mm. Um, and actually, there's multiple times it's mentioned like, but Israel did not have a king, mm. so they actually thought their problem was because they didn't have a king, like someone who would. Which be, is funny because they did. Yeah. The king brought them out of Egypt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
in one way or another. I mean, it wasn't necessarily like an official king. Like I someone, suppose they had a god, but not yeah, a king. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that I mean, and we'll see later in this episode that the Israelites did have a king. Mm. It was God, but the, the Israelites were hungry to have a king like the other nations, which was not necessarily what God wanted for mm. the Israelites. The um, fear, the FOMO. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Israel. We don't want to be different than every other nation. <laughs> yeah, and we did see in the last episode they they were being like the other nations. They were yeah. worshiping like Asha, yeah. basically having sex at the bottom of these poles and mm. uh, so it's definitely all sorts of stuff. Yeah. It's definitely identical to the, our Christian walk, isn't it? Because people have this FOMO and they're going, I don't want to be different than everybody else. Yeah. And then you look at God's perspective and God's saying, I want you to be different than everybody else. Yeah, it's so true. (laughs) It's actually cool, like when you look at the promised land, we also often think, oh, it's just supposed to be a blessing for the Israelites, right? But actually geographically, um, there's a desert to the east of them. And then you have the ocean to the west. And then north and south are like these two massive land masses which mm. have a lot of nations so basically israel is put, is that connecting piece where mm. people naturally would travel through that land so from just based on like geographically the israelites were called to be like being a light to the nations mm. and the nations would come to them true uh, i mean we live in queenstown which yeah. is tourism capital yeah literally. when there's no pandemic <laughs> yeah which is the ideal place for people to yeah, ex- yeah oftentimes it is a weird thing God in, yeah yeah uh, around the world yeah we so. can preach to the nations in one spot mm-hmm. and that's pretty much what happened with with israel yeah, yeah. and so god very um yeah very carefully like set this land aside so that they could live this out. Mm-hmm. Now, we see in the judges, things went from bad to worse. So they weren't living out this calling. And so I guess, we'll, yeah, we'll see how things pan out later mm-hmm. in the story. Um, but yeah, ultimately God wanted them to, yeah, to be different, to be set apart so that mm-hmm. they could to basically reveal who God was to the nations and, and show that he is very different than any of these other mm-hmm pagan gods that people were worshiping yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh that's so cool i'm excited to get into it yeah <laughs> i mean the, this overview series has brought so much insight just being here and listening um because it's very very easy to go into the the nitty-gritty in the one and two chapters but to get an overview of the context of who the characters characters are and what their their thinking and their heart motive at the time was, and then what God's thinking and heart motive at the time was, because mm-hmm. we lose sight on that. We sometimes try and like pull God's thinking two and a half thousand years ago into our thinking, and we go, you know, why why does God put that in there? To um, what was one of the examples we had yesterday? Some of the weird things that we try and apply God to today. Um, uh, the goats and a mother's milk, uh, yeah. boiling mm-hmm. a goat and a mother's milk. Why does God tell them not to do that? Because it was a pagan ritual, basically. I know, but yeah. we try and apply it to today, <laughs> and we're like, well, I'm not putting 
goats and mother's milks and boiling them up. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this sounds like a weird dish. Maybe yeah. Gordon Ramsay would do that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's kind of like eggs and chicken. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the, and the shellfish as well. Yeah. You know, why would God say that? But at the time, there was a meaning and there was a, there was a reason behind it. And there's mm-hmm. a, a huge amount of wisdom imparted into God's command over that and it was actually for their safety every single time it's for their safety you know don't do this because you'll get sick and die really mm-hmm. most of the time it came down to that yeah yeah <laughs> or it's it always for their good <laughs> it was always for their good because even them worshiping the other gods the other gods would have these sacrificial um uh like they would Rituals. sacrifice people yeah and babies mm-hmm. and and it, so it's for up. their for their good <laughs> God says, don't worship them, you mm-hmm. know, because I love you and I don't want you to sacrifice your children. I don't want you to sacrifice other people. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just, it's always for our good, even though we can't see it straight away mm-hmm. or it's not familiar to us. Trust God. Yeah. <laughs> He's got so this. True. He's bigger than this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a little bit of my own testimony. I, I mean, basically felt like God said for me to get married in December of 2019. Had no idea about what was going to happen in 2020. And so oftentimes when yeah, when we're called to walk by faith, so to speak, um, yeah, God That's might like, right. tell us to do things that seem very out of the blue yeah. and yeah, just kind of like, I don't understand why this is. But yeah. looking back, I can see like, oh my goodness, like that was That's the last huge. window before the country's got locked down. Yeah. I, I got to see my husband's family. Yeah. So they were all there. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. it was like super, super special time. And like, mm. if we didn't have that, I've been to two weddings, yeah. I think since, and their families haven't been able to come. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So it, it was so special. And like, I like, yeah. So sometimes when we follow God, it seems crazy. And you're like, I don't know why I'm like, yeah. this might look different than what the rest of the world does but yeah but it's the right thing to do just mm. it's all and it's all out of relationship which is really awesome <laughs> exactly yeah so yeah and so last time just speaking about our um yeah speaking of being god's people i mean we saw in the midst of israel being in this really dark and hard time of mm essentially being like Sodom and Gomorrah, like the worst of the worst, we see um, Ruth and Mm. um, just that story of God um, working through a non-Israelite. She was a Moabitess, which um, was very frowned upon in that time. And the fact that she was an Israelite at heart, I think, Mm. speaks a lot to the audience of like, actually, it's not about being a descendant of Abraham, but actually, Mm. what do your actions show? Mm. And even Boaz, like, he uh, was obeying the law, like, Mm. by essentially letting, like, the widow, the foreigner, the outcast, like, lean Mm. from his crops. That was something in Jewish law of, like, let's take care of Mm. Like those who are oppressed, mm. um, which yeah, it's just so cool to see that um, lived like, out. Yeah, I love how you say that um, she wasn't a Israelite per se, mm-hmm. um, but she had the heart of an Israelite, and she wasn't related to Abraham per se, but she was almost spiritually related to Abraham under that covenant through her heart and what God was looking at. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing, you know. God says to us that we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And that Christ is Jesus Christ is the first son among many, 
and the firstborn among among many. And um, we're not physically related to Jesus. I mean, some of us might be, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where we're spiritually related. Mm-hmm. We get grafted yeah. in. Yeah. So even in the Old Testament, God's grafting um, different people into His nation. Yeah. Not and necessarily the Israelite nation, but the kingdom of God. Yeah. yeah. And even like Paul talked about, like it's. I mean, he talks about circumcision of the heart, and you like think of that, and you're like, that's weird. Like, why? Why would I circumcise my heart? But yeah. And how do you do that? <laughs> no, how does that <laughs> but he was getting at like actually, it is about the heart, and like, mm. and God. Um, transforming us from from our hearts to yep. everything else. So yeah, super cool. And from from the mouth, the heart speaks. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus says that, and um, it's interesting because you know that what is circumcision? It's a physical difference. That's what you know if somebody is circumcised. You know, it's mm. a bit weird, but um, like that. <laughs> when when you see it circumcised from the heart, there's a physical the change in that person's heart mm. to what their heart is for other people and heart is uh, what it, what it looks like. And, and how do you, what does that change? Um, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So mm. what the fruit of this person, how they live their lives and how they speak to people mm. that shows the circumcision of the heart. That's a really hard word to say <laughs> yeah. real quick. <laughs> circumcision. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um, yeah, and so it's even cool to see that in the Old Testament mm. that like it, it's not necessarily something that is yeah, like sometimes we kind of bring it back to like just following rules and going through the motions, but actually like this is something we see that God's speaking to the Israelites like through the whole time of like yeah. I want your heart, and ultimately like He prophesies about how He would take our heart of stone and turn into heart. Of flesh, mm. and ultimately that was about the Israelites, but yep. even like it, it's been extended to us as the Gentiles. For and, sure, yeah, yeah. It's super cool to see that. Um, so yeah, uh, so, right. we, so we <laughs> left off on a very crazy note with the judges, and um, it's interesting because we we have the tribe of Benjamin, who um, at the very end of Judges, basically um, they were the the nation that was similar to Sodom and Gomorrah, and so. The, the surrounding um, uh, people groups were like, oh, like, um, yeah, so all the tribes were like, okay, we need to fix a problem. How do we do this? We mm. need to um, invite all the other tribes to... Can I yeah. just jump in real quick? Absolutely. When you say tribe of Benjamin, we're talking mm-hmm. about the Joseph's uh, 12 brothers, yes, right? Yes, so, so the 12 tribes. And, yep. and 13, including Joseph? Uh, yeah, so Joseph yeah. had two technically. So right, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So all of these brothers, when you read about them in in, in the Old Testament, is that Exodus mm-hmm. with, with Joseph? Yeah, um, those just thirteen people turn into all of these massive tribes, and that's yeah. what splits up the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Just for people to have a bit of context on that. That's good. Yeah, and I mean, twelve oftentimes is a, a big number connected to covenant because mm. of the t- twelve tribes. Um, so it's good to even realize Twelve that. Twelve disciples of Jesus. Exactly. Jesus, yeah. Yeah, so we see that. Um, but yeah, basically, we see the people of Israel kind of do things in their own strength. And so mm. they're like, oh, we need to fix this problem. And so then they basically attacked the tribe of Benjamin to the point where they were whittled down to like a super small number. And then um, they're like, oh, no. Like, well, we, in order to keep this covenant, we need to like, 
maintain the tribe of Benjamin because as soon as mm. they're gone, then what happens to the covenant, you know? Um, so that was a big deal. So they basically were like, oh, oh, I know. Like, basically, uh, there was, like, um, a tribe that was, like, not for um, going against them. So they were like, okay, well, we'll take those daughters and have them sleep with the, the people from Benjamin so that they can repopulate um, as a punishment. And it's, like, definitely not God's heart at all. But that's what they choose to do. So I just wanted to highlight this because um, the tribe of Benjamin was a very frowned-upon tribe. Hmm. And so it's interesting because um, as we go into Samuel, we'll find that the very first king that's chosen is Saul, and he is from the tribe of Benjamin. He's, he's a Benjamite. Yeah, Benjamite. So it's so cool that um, ultimately, yeah. God is all about redemption. And so just wanted to highlight that a bit before we dive into things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, basically, beginning of 1 Samuel, um, we'll just, yeah, start, dive into this book. Um, yeah, but basically, like, it's a con- continuation from the judges. And we see that um, Israel is in a lot of darkness. Mm. Um, and what's really cool is that from the very beginning, it doesn't even start talking about the kings. It actually talks a bit into the story of Samuel. So he is the first um, prophet to work alongside kings. Mm. Um, so, And he's actually a big, um, uh, I guess, catalyst in, um, yeah, basically expanding what, a, like, the role of a prophet looks like. Um, technically, Moses was a prophet, but uh, this is kind of uh, leading into the, t- the era of the kings. So mm. um, what, what's really cool about how God's system works is it's never just one person leadership. Mm. Um, basically, there's a political side and then a religious side. So those two things are very separate. So even when Moses was um, leading the people of Israel, he wasn't a priest as well. Mm. There was an appointed uh, priest. Um, so it's good to be aware of that. Really? And, yeah. And so God basically has this template. It, it's even That's super interesting. Yeah. So even when he passes on the leadership to Joshua, yeah. there is also a priest. So um, even when Moses is talking to God pretty much face to face, he's not the priest. Yeah. He's, he's not That's the priest. That's amazing. Yeah. And it, it goes into, like, we see a lot of these little templates, so to speak. We call them types, which is like this this shadow this foreshadowing of jesus Mm. and so even moses as much as he is an amazing man of the old testament um is only one aspect of what jesus is Mm. Uh, jesus is priest prophet and king Mm. there is no person in the bible that holds all three of those positions except for jesus Mm. which is a really big deal um so even with samuel he was and uh, servant i suppose yeah, Jesus. I mean, he is a servant. Yeah. yeah, but so as a whole, like, those are the three roles. Uh, so even Samuel, um, so he, uh, he was a prophet, he was a priest, but he was not a king. Mm. So that is actually a key, it's a key point that yeah. he was actually not made king of Israel. Um, but it's really cool because he, he's very much behind the scenes. He's really championing and really trying to to help stir the kingdom, like steer mm. the kingdom. Would you um, mind yeah. just going into what um, those three things, priest, prophet, and king, mm-hmm. what those roles would be individually? 
Yeah. Um, for those listening. I mean, so a king was more of a political leader. So they're the ones making more political decisions. Mm. Um, certain, um, yeah, I mean, basically just being... Leading the nation. Yeah, leading the yeah. nation. Yeah. Um, a priest would be the one to go to God on behalf of the people. So mm-hmm. making sacrifices. Uh, it's all about atonement and working in... in mm. Um, the tabernacle, so the the tent of meeting, mm. um, and then on the flip side, you have the prophets who were um, instead of going to God on behalf of people, going to the people on behalf of God, mm. and so they're the ones who um, basically wow. are the mouthpiece, and they um, are, I mean, really just challenging the people of like if they they. St- like turn away from the covenant mm. they're the ones who are um we call them the covenant attorneys so the mm. ones who um i when you think of like a, a wedding ceremony you have all the witnesses um the witnesses or like the people present at the ceremony are the ones who are also supposed to be um reminding the, mm. the bride and the groom they're like hey you made a covenant with one another um yeah like are you being faithful to your wife? Like, are you, mm. you know, like, so there is an accountability there. Yeah. And so the prophet is, is kind of like walking out in that role of he's pointing the people, he or she, <laughs> pointing the people to, uh, towards God and be like, hey, are you keeping your covenant? Um, are you being faithful mm. uh, to your promise to God? Um, so we'll see that a lot in this time frame, um, which is so cool because even though we'll see later on, there were a lot of corrupt and evil kings, mm. there are still prophets. There's yeah. still people who are spearheading, um, yeah, just even just being a mouthpiece and representation of God in the midst of mm. really crazy corruption. Mm. Um, so God never leaves his people, which is super cool to see that. Um, in the midst of such darkness. Yeah. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, basically, we, we start with the story of Samuel, and basically his mother um, was barren. So, um, his his mo- his dad actually had two wives. So, there's um, Penaniah and Hannah. Um, and Hannah, which was his mom, could not have kids. Um, so, what does that remind you? Uh, of Jesus's cousin, Cousy Bro. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually, that's a really good one. Yeah. Um, maybe, <laughs> what are some characters earlier in the Bible that couldn't have co- children? Um, There's a big one. <laughs> There's a big one. Yeah. Just taking, I'm having a big mind blank. Um, and in the Old Testament, mm-hmm. um, Abraham's yeah. wife. Yep, Sarah. Sarah, exactly. Yeah. So she was barren; she couldn't have kids. She actually made Abraham sleep with their servant mm. to kind of force God's hand, and then that <laughs> ended up blowing up in their face. <laughs> so mm. then, yeah. So that was went pretty off. Um, and then we even see later on when Jacob, who later is named Israel, um, he has two wives and there's all this contention and, um, and Rachel actually couldn't have kids for a little bit, Mm. but just to, to highlight that, um, when someone can't have children in the Bible, it basically is an indication that God's about to move. The only God 
can be the one to open the womb and yeah. like to the make, life giver. Yeah. And so, um, from, and we even saw that with Samson, um, mm. he, um, uh, angel came to his parents and were basically like, you're going to have a kid. Mm. So there is kind of like this indication that something big is going to happen. Mm. Um, and so Samuel basically is born uh, and she promised him to um, to basically stay in the house of the Lord. So uh, he ends up living his whole life in the tabernacle, which is absolutely wild. Um, and so he um, is raised by Eli uh, who is a priest, and he has his two sons. Um, interesting enough, his two sons were very corrupt. Um, we see that a bit in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel. Eli's sons? Yeah, Eli's sons, very corrupt. They were taking the fat portions for themselves. They basically were not representing God well. Mm. Um, yeah, and I believe they were even like, well, I just want to verify, um, I believe they were, like, sleeping with women or, like, taking advantage of them. So it was just, like, really bad. Um, but, yeah, basically, um, so God was very upset about that. But what was crazy is um, we see Samuel in the midst of all this crazy corruption, um, all that stuff. We see he, um, and yeah, in chapter 2, verse uh, 26, it says, Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. So he, uh, and that kind of echoes to Jesus, like he grew in stature with both God and man. Um, but yeah, we see ultimately, um, yeah, he wasn't shaped by the lifestyle that he w- he grew up in. Like, mm. he basically just loved the Lord mm. and ultimately, like, that's where his calling came out of, mm. or was birthed out of. Um, and so uh, we see, basically, there were some prophecies to Eli, and they were saying, like, yep, uh, God basically warned him. He was like, hey, um, your sons are not doing so hot. And so <laughs> and so there's kind of like this harsh prophecy of, like, hey, your descendants um, will die by the sword. And just as a immediate prophecy, we see... Uh, his both of his, his sons die in battle, um, and so one of the big um, things to be aware of with a prophet is because um, we'll see some false prophets later on, where basically they're um, they're saying all these false things to the people, and so God actually gave the people tools on how to figure out if they are a, mm. a true prophet or a false prophet, and the the way that they did uh, he went about this is he said. I, if it's, they are a true prophet, someone who was sent by me, they're going to prophesy something true in the immediate um, future, and then that will indicate that the longer prophecies that might take more time to fulfill are going to be from God as well. So if they're a false prophet, means they didn't have immediate prophecies come true. Mm. Um, so we see that with Samuel. He basically prophesies to Eli and he says hey um and he actually was very reluctant he was like uh I don't want to make him angry but Eli was like you need to tell me or else like um that's gonna happen to you too so he he was like okay well this is what God said Mm. and he told him he was like yep um God said that basically all this is gonna happen to your household 
Um, and it, it's interesting because Eli, he wasn't even super repentive. Um, yeah, he basically was like, oh, okay, well, you know, if that's what the Lord says, like, um, that's good. And yeah, so basically we see in the next scene, um, the Israelites end up having this battle with the Philistines. So kind of continuing from the judges time frame, mm. um, whenever the Israelites were turning away from the covenant, all these other nations would come mm. in and oppress the Israelites. And so, um, they even, I, I talked a bit, a bit about this in the last, um, podcast, but basically they were like, Oh, like, we can solve this problem by bringing the ark to um, to mm. basically um, give us success, and we'll, we'll win against this yeah. nation. Like a mad lucky charm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which we see doesn't work too well for them. So they take the ark. They're like, "Oh yeah, like just like you know Jericho. Like this is going to work for so us." So just mm-hmm. before we carry on the ark, um, we're not talking about Noah's ark here. No, we're, we're talking about um, this piece. That God made made them make, and they mm-hmm. had to carry it, didn't they? Yeah. And it would, wouldn't it? It would kill anybody that touched it in, in a weird way. Is that right? Yeah. I it mean, didn't basically, hold the handles. Um, so the Ark of the Covenant um, basically represented the presence of God. So mm. it was placed in the Holy of Holies, which the priest, the high priest, um, yeah, basically there would be a priest appointed once a year, to go into the Holy Holies and make sacrifices mm. on behalf of the people. And so um, when the, there's a certain people group called the Levites who, whenever they moved in the wilderness, they were the ones to come around the ark and mm. pick it up and move it. Um, so so that, God gave special instructions and we're like, okay, if you mm. don't do it this way, things aren't, are going to go south for mm. you. And that's the tribe of Levi, right? Their yeah, whole the tribe, tribe was priests? Yep. Yeah. So, and yeah, basically they had the honor to uh, work like in the presence mm-hmm. of the Lord. Um, but yeah, that does kind of add an interesting spin on things because, mm. um, yeah, so the, basically they're, they're carrying around this ark, but if they don't do it correctly, like, yeah, mm. things aren't going to go too well. And we see that later on, um, later on when David's appointed king, um, someone you know, they tries slip. to touch to the ark, but yeah, doesn't it, go too well for is them. Is it the ark? It starts falling or something. Somebody trips and then someone tries to catch it, mm-hmm. and then they're killed instantly. God just smites them because. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny. I've had an interesting theory on this. You know, like what is holiness? What is the presence of God like in its purest form? And I see it sort of like how alcohol treats germs. Mm-hmm. You know, when you got pure alcohol. And yeah. you pour it onto almost anything, and it totally sterilizes it. It, it just wipes it out. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what holiness does to sin. Mm-hmm. It, so you, can't, you cannot mix sin and holiness. Mm-hmm. Holiness will always win. Even if sin accidentally touches holiness, it gets wiped out. Yeah. And I, I had a pastor um, years ago teach on this, and he said that um, when Adam and Eve sinned, and God actually removed them out of the Garden of Eden, he did it for their benefit because if they had stayed in the Garden of Eden with God, they wouldn't have been able to survive. Hmm. So he kicked them out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the sense of, like, they can't be with me and and have sin. However, I'm not sure how that theory stacks up because God also said if they eat from the Tree of Life, then 
they will be sinful and live forever. Yeah, so there's kind so, of a mix. Who but, knows? I mean, Bible Project has an amazing video on holiness. Yes, and, and I it, think I've seen that. Yeah, and it kind of describes God's holiness kind of like the sun, where it's mm. just, it's so rich and beautiful and life-giving, but also can be dangerous mm. if you're, like, too close to it. So, yeah. it's, a, yeah, kind of a paradox, but it makes sense at the same time. Yeah. So, well, God, yeah. God's a consuming fire. The Bible talks about that. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> but a little funny thing about that, the story that you mentioned with the Ark of the Covenant basically um, is being transported, and then this guy touches it. Um, so we actually see in this story, um, later on, the Philistines... Um, basically put the cart up uh, the the ark on a cart um, and and so that was their way of transporting it mm. but God gave specific instructions on carrying it on two poles so mm. there would be four people carrying it and so I don't think it would have happened if people if they actually did carry it the proper way right so that was another part of it it's interesting well. yeah. yeah we kind of missed that detail We're like, even oh, like why did the he little die? details God yeah. saying this matters even yeah. the little stuff exactly so and yeah so it's it's good to even ask those questions and like look more into the text and be like well mm. why did why is this why mm. why did this happen it was quite a beautiful object wasn't it the, mm-hmm. this ark it was made yeah. of gold and and lots of cool gems and yeah. things like that and a lot of people have tried to recreate it we see that in indiana jones there's a yeah. classic you know it's, i mean i don't think um it would have necessarily panned out that way because there's all this stuff that comes out of the ark and you're like, what is this? But I mean, you know, I'm sure whoever made Indiana Jones was being very creative with it. And, yeah, yeah, Hollywoodized yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. But yeah, so I guess where we left off, basically they were like, oh, like we're going to win against the Philistines and then we see they end up losing. And we see... The news comes back to Eli that his sons are dead. And so Eli uh, basically dies of a broken heart. Um, yeah, it talks about how he actually <laughs> fell back because he was overweight. And <laughs> he, like, ended up breaking his neck. Um, <laughs> pretty intense story. <laughs> but, yeah, I well, mean, and it actually talks about how the sacrifices, so they, they basically took the Lord's portion of the sacrifices. So part of me wonders if Eli was almost partaking in that mm. just by saying that he was overweight and old. But who knows? I mean, it's just something to think about. So anyways, the story moves on, and we see um, God still is moving behind the scenes. And uh, I said in the last podcast that the ark is before the Philistines, and so um, the the way the uh, I guess the mindset of the people during this time frame is that if your God, if you won against another nation, your God was bigger and more powerful than the other God of mm. the other nation, and um, gods were very territorial, and so. Yeah, basically the Philistines were like, oh yeah, Dagon, our God, like he's so much bigger than Yahweh. So they were just going to, um, they basically put Yahweh, or like the Ark of the Covenant, because you can't put God in a box. Um, But yeah, they put him right next to Dagon, and we see Dagon falls face down. Um, So God even is is working behind the scenes and showing 
like revealing himself to the Philistines, even when the Israelites are in this dark place mm. and not representing God well. So, yeah, wow. we, it's really, really cool story. So basically, um, you have, you, as we continue the story, we see... Um, and so the Philistines were like, okay, well, we need to get rid of this ark because all this stuff ends up happening. And they end up getting a new cart, and they put two... Um, two mother cows on the cart um, and then they put the calves uh, locked away mm. and so the point of that was because um, I guess by mother nature like a mother would not separate herself from her babies and so it wasn't just one cow it was two cows so the fact that they still went to the Israelites in the exact opposite direction of their own babies shows that God was behind mm. like even returning the ark to the, yeah, wow. the Israelites, which is a super cool story. Um, so, yeah, the ark finally returns. And um, basically, um, this is when everything transitions from Samuel to the, the first king. Um, so Samuel basically does all this awesome stuff. He's an amazing judge. And, um, yeah, and so he ends up, you know, this many years pass, and his sons um, are actually not the best. <laughs> and so the people are like, oh, like, we, we want a king to rule us. Um, yeah, and so in chapter 8, it talks about how, um, in verse 5, um, so your, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. Mm. And um, what's very interesting, I think sometimes we're like, oh, like the, the Israelites kind of forced God's hand. But God actually knew the Israelites would have a king. Uh, in Deuteronomy 17, God actually laid out specific details on and criteria of what a king would look like if mm. the Israelites were to have a king, um, or actually win. So it says um, in Deuteronomy 14, I'll just paraphrase it. Um, yeah. So, in De- yeah, Deuteronomy 7.14. Um, uh, so, when you come to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it, possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers, and shall set as a king over you. And so he gives all these details. He basically says they can't be a foreigner. They can't acquire many horses, which basically uh, a horse in that day and age was a military power. So somewhat, so basically going on all these campaigns to really expand the kingdom. Um, they um, and and specifically um, Do you from think- Egypt. So oh really? Yeah. So it's specifically from Egypt. So do not um, not. So basically, they God didn't want them to go back to Egypt, which was yeah. a, their place of slavery. Mm. So God didn't want them to go back into that bondage. Um, yeah, he wanted them to rely on him, ultimately. Mm. Um, and then he goes on to talk specifically about the king's lifestyle. So don't acquire many wives. Don't acquire excessive silver and gold. Um, and then... Uh, it actually talks about how the king is actually supposed to write himself um, the the law. So actually handwriting it out, um, write out the whole thing, and then they're supposed to live out the law. So when you look at just this criteria, 
the the king that God wants is not supposed to be like this crazy military leader. It's mm. literally just supposed to be someone who loves God yeah. and is meditating on scripture mm. and isn't out for selfish gain. Mm. Um, and so sometimes we miss that. Um, but it's so good to even go back to the law and see what God's original heart was. Mm. And that's going to be the template in mm. which we're going to compare a lot of the, the kings of Israel. And, and ultimately, we see Jesus yeah. fulfilling that, yeah. um, which is really exciting to see how, like, even when these kings fell short in so many ways, like, Jesus is, like, the he ultimate f- he king. he fits that description yeah, so well. He does, yeah. which is, like, so amazing. So you said that he, they even have to write out the law. Yeah. You know, Jesus was, was a rabbi at yeah. the end of the day, and um, he had to learn the first five books of the Bible by heart. Yep, that's um, true. By the time he was like 10 years old or something like that. Yeah, that was this, every single Jewish boy by the time of five years old. Yeah, wow. Would, five. Yeah. It was, they'd memorize it. Well, maybe, oh, it seems like that's a bit young, but I feel like it was like pretty young. Yeah, I've, I can't remember who told me. It could be me. as late as 10. It's pretty young, though. Yeah. Even 10 is pretty impressive. But yeah. Yeah, five's even... Yeah, maybe it was over a period of time, but yeah, it was crazy. A lot smarter back then. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they didn't rely on Google. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, and that was a, a different form of Judaism. That mm. Judaism, we have to remember, kind of evolved over yeah. like a, quite a large period of time. So this was like before the Israelites went to exile mm. and then they have this time period after exile. And so it's kind of, yeah, just evolved over the years, but mm. yeah, it's good to be aware of that. Yeah. So yeah, basically they want to be, to have a King like the other nations and God's, so Samuel's very broken up about this. He's like, Oh, like God, you know, this isn't good for them. And ultimately, so God is like, okay, obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you for they have not rejected you. But they have rejected me from being king over them. So that's in, in verse 7. But yeah, we see ultimately, like the people, it wasn't even anything about Samuel. They were actually rejecting God mm. and his leadership. And and he even warns him. So in the next bit, Samuel's like, okay, like you can have your king. Um, but the thing is, the king that you want is going to basically make your sons and daughters slaves. You're going to... Um, yeah, like have, he's going to do all these things. Um, yeah. And yeah, he's going to have chariots and have all these, um, commanding armies and yeah. Mm. And basically he's like, yes. Okay. I'm going to let you choose this, but it's not going to bring the life that I want for you. Mm. Um, and God very explicitly did not want the Israelites to go back to slavery. And in some ways they were enslaving themselves to a king, Mm. um, which is a bit ironic. (laughs) But yeah, God, like, I think it's so cool that God still, like, even though he knows what's good for them, still allows them to choose to go their own path Mm. and to make mistakes. (laughs) And yeah, just uh, so much of God's character and nature in there. What do they say? uh, Mistakes is as life's best teacher yeah it's true so you know sometimes you gotta you gotta let them burn themselves a little bit to find out how hot it is yeah it's true and then then just shows god's father heart behind yeah that day yeah and he and ultimately like because he knows like at the end of the day if they're going to want to go down this path they're going to do it yeah um but 
But God still is faithful. He still shows up, even when they make stupid mistakes. So, just like for us, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Which is really cool. Um, But yeah, so the next bit we have... Um, Samuel actually appoints the first king, Saul. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a fun thing about Saul's name is his name, Saul means asked for. Mm. So, wow. um, yeah, it's, in some ways it's like, I mean, in, in one way, he's like the, the king that the people want. He want they want this military leader, mm. um, whereas David actually means um, beloved son. Wow. So it's kind of cool to see those contrasts even just based on their names. Um, but yeah, so when we go through the anointing of Saul, uh, I think sometimes we kind of get stuck in this mindset of like good guy versus bad guy, like these characters. But I do like to highlight that um, when when he was appointed king, um, we see a lot of God's heart. Um, and so he basically was with a servant and he lost his donkeys. Um, that he's saying, and we do see some character flaws in him already. Um, and... Yeah, but ultimately, um, we see that Samuel, he ends up coming across Samuel. Uh, Samuel was actually there. He had a, a huge banquet set up for him. He, he had, like, an b- amazing meal at the, foot of the, or at the head of the table for uh, Saul. And he's like, yep, don't worry about your donkeys. Have it taken care of. Mm. Um, yeah. And so there, even though God knew that Saul wouldn't necessarily be the best king for the Israelites, he still honors that. And he still, like, like basically honors Saul as a human being. And he mm. loves him so, mm. so much, even just from the very beginning of mm. his, his reign as king. So he's anointed. And, yeah, just I think that shows so much of God's heart. Mm. And even, like, when you think of the disciples and, like, Judas, like, Jesus... Like, he washed the feet of all the disciples, even though he knew Judas was going to betray him. Mm. So I just like to, like, ima- I guess, imagine that when I look at Saul, of like, even though he's not necessarily the best of characters, like, God still has a big heart for him. Mm. So he was anointed, basically. He, uh, next scene, he's proclaimed king. And it's funny because he's actually found hidden among the baggage. Mm. So he's very shy. He's kind of insecure. Um, and I think um, later on, when he's ultimately rejected as king, it says that he feared the people. So I think um, in the process of becoming king, he was more focused about the people mm. and pleasing the people and had his identity wrapped up in his position as king over mm. his relationship with God. Mm. And so that's kind of what leads him um, down the path that he goes. Um, and so basically following that, you have these three different stories and it's supposed to, it's over many, many years. Um, in a political lens, he was actually a very amazing king, did a lot of political military campaigns. Um, but the author here is actually a prophet. So they're, they're highlighting these things of like, well, why, why did God reject Saul? Um, so, um, basically, um, one of them is that he very rashly made a sacrifice um, before um, Samuel came along. So Samuel actually explicitly told him, you are not to 
to take this position as a priest. Remember, you can't be a priest, prophet, and king. And so uh, especially you can't be a king and a priest. Those are mm. a big no-no. And so Saul basically was like, oh, like he's not going to come. Why, why do they have that as a big no-no, being a king and a uh, priest? It's, it's this idea of like too much power. Yeah. We actually see that in the intertestamental period where... Um, those two mix, and it gets real, real mm. nasty real quick. So even, like I said before, it even takes... Moses had a, a priest mm. on, on, like next to him or in the, in the midst of that, and Joshua yeah. had a priest. So we need so understanding that context as well is like, mm. ooh, like for Be- him to offer sacrifice was a big deal. For sure. Mm-hmm. The, um, the king and the priest thing as well sounds a lot like a pharaoh mm-hmm. in, in Egypt. That's because true. Because they, they were deemed themselves like as, as gods, as That's deities, true. and they were the rulers. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and it's sort of like mimicking a, uh, the wrong god, yeah. the wrong culture. Yeah, definitely. Again. Yeah. So it's pretty big deal. Um, yeah, just going to move on a little bit. So, yeah, we see multiple stories where he basically is doing things in his own eyes. He even like curses. Uh, he he had this military campaign where he was like, oh, like, we're, like, he made a foolish vow and was like, oh, we're just going to, we're not going to eat until we have victory. And then his son, Jonathan, was like, well, that's stupid. Mm. <laughs> and he has some honey. And so Saul, instead of admitting that it was a foolish vow, actually curses him and his son. He said, if it's not, uh, basically, if this, you know, whoever ate, um, yeah, basically, if, like, if they are not killed, I will like die as well um so and so then even so they finally find out who did it so he actually didn't know his son did it and then later on in chapter 14 he was like oh well jonathan must surely die and there was actually quite a few people who had to stand in between them and basically be like uh this is not a good idea like Mm. Saul, you should stop (laughs) so pretty bad pretty bad situation um, so yeah, then in chapter 15, we finally see Saul is completely rejected. Um, yeah, and basically, there's a lot to, to highlight in the story, um, but uh, it explicitly talks about how he did not obey the voice of the Lord. Um, and so he basically, um, he was supposed to, I mean, there's a whole backstory to this, but um, he was supposed to... Uh, conquer the Amalekites because um, kind of echoing a bit of what we were talking about before about God's judgment and like God's perfect timing in that um, basically God um, in Exodus talked about how the Amalekites will um, see judgment one day and so Saul basically withheld himself um, and so not only that but he kept the sheep and the ox and the goats, whatever, for himself. And he did not um, kill, like, yeah, the king or whatever. Um, Interesting enough, um, so he spared King Agag, which later on in Esther, um, we had Haman and Mordecai. Um, Haman actually was a relative of the Agagite. So it says, he says that he's an Agagite, which means he is a descendant from this king. So basically, in in one, one regard, God was preventing um, a mass, um, I guess, 
Um, By the joining of two nations? Uh, No, not so much that, but basically he was, yeah, preventing a mass genocide with the Israelites later on. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, ultimately God can see those details. Um, But the biggest issue is that he didn't obey God. And Mm. so um, later on, it like Samuel basically highlights that obeying the voice of the Lord is better than sacrifice. Um, So Saul was just trying to have a good face and was like, oh, like, well, I didn't want to obey God because, like, you know, I'd rather sacrifice this to God. And you're like, ah, actually, (laughs) you can kind of see through his bluff. Um, So I was saying I I prefer to do the forgiveness rather than permission. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I also get to do a big sacrifice and show off a little bit at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Um, What is it we see? We actually see that a lot today when, um, and I'm not, obviously, (laughs) I, I don't know if I've ever seen this personally today, but um, when all these people go to the front over and over and over again in church, sometimes to be seen at the front, mm. not necessarily that their heart's in the right place, but it's to look like they're holy and they're, that they're uh, repentant and things like that, but they only do that in view of other people. Yeah. And this would be in, in the Old Testament fashion of repenting, to look closer to God at the altar with mm. with your your atonement sacrifice or whatever, yeah. but um, you can see his his heart motive. You can see that. he's he prefers to mm. ask for forgiveness so he can be seen asking for forgiveness. Yeah, and God knows that. It's like, true. Yeah. Well, even in chapter fifteen, verse twelve, it talks about how he actually put a monument out, up for himself. So it's like, it's real hardcore stuff here. Like, it's not just like, oh, like, I just accidentally, like, it actually, Mm. you can tell he's elevating himself above God. And that's where really the root of the problem is he's just like, Mm. he's so, I mean, and it's funny because he's a donkey herder, which (laughs) if you think about like, I mean, when you think of the Israelites, what do you think of, like, in terms of animals? A donkey? No. no. <laughs> well, yeah, like sheep, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah so for God's sure. So the Shepherds, sheep the yeah. shepherd, right? So when he's caught, when I was God... just thinking of Jesus, uh, <laughs> Jesus get, riding in on a donkey. Because yeah. you said donkey oh, before. I was yeah. like... <laughs> Fair enough, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, so when... Uh, so we think of like them being lambs, right? So yeah. uh, sheep, I mean, they're very stupid animals, right? They will literally yeah. like fall a shepherd's voice off a cliff i've heard yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um yeah but there is this obedience this um surrenderedness towards the shepherd whereas a donkey will just do its own thing and i mean look, there's a lot of like other terms for donkeys but it's, but it's kind of funny that saul basically was taking care of donkeys and then he's now king and so in some ways god is like mm. um calling the Israelites donkeys yeah. <laughs> but even saul's kind of being donkey in this situation where yeah he's just doing his own thing and god's <laughs> like i have the bet your best yeah. interest in mind like yeah and you're not listening so in um chapter 16 uh you're saying like this this guy saul just does a lot to be seen and he likes mm-hmm. to be seen, and, and, and people actually elected him because of how he looked. He was, he yeah. was tall, he was strong, he was, he was the right build of, of a fierce leader, you know? That's um, true. And in chapter 16, um, it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not 
um, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things uh, man looks at, but at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm, so it really shows, yeah, it just shows mm. that God, like, it, I mean, and, and I actually love that because our physical anything cannot compare to God. So mm. God's not even going to make a compar- comparison on that. We can't mm. compete with God. But one thing that we can do is get closer to God's heart. And that's mm. why that's, um, I heard somebody say a few years ago, God wants the one thing that he doesn't own. He owns mm. everything. You know, he owns all the oceans. He owns all of the mm. stars and the galaxy. He owns all the air on the planet, mm. all the gold and silver in the world. But he doesn't own our heart. It's the mm. one thing that we have that we need to freely give God. Mm. That's good. And that's all God wants from us. Yeah. Yeah. More than anything yeah. else. Yeah. And, um, yeah, very, very cool. Mm. I love that. Yeah. And so I guess when the tail end of Saul's, um, yeah, this this bet, last bit with Saul, he it talks about, uh, so he finally repents after, like, Kind of, it's kind of like when parents like approach the kids and they clearly did something wrong. Like Sally, did you hit your brother? And <laughs> she's like, no. And then, like, finally, they're like, after a lot of digging and whatever, you finally get to it. And then she's like, oh yeah, I did. <laughs> so I mean, basically, he's like, yeah, I sinned. Um, for yeah, basically, and and he he says in verse twenty four that he feared the people. Um, and so then, basically, um, saw or Samuel tells him, um, "You have rejected the word of the Lord, so He has rejected you from being king over Israel." And so he tore, like he was saw uh, Samuel was just turning to go away, and Saul sees mm. his robe and it tore, which we see that come up over and over again, mm. where. Um, yeah, so they tear their clothes. Yeah, they yeah. Well, specifically the tore his robe, and so he speaks out. He says, "The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day." So yeah, just wanted to highlight that. Um, and so it's interesting because then Saul, then he he says, "I have sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people, that I may bow down before your God." So he's mm. he's not even saying my God. He's saying your God, wow. and then he's saying you should. Honor me by, um, yeah, by basically bowing before the Lord, like, in mm. front of the elders of the people. So he just wants to look good, which is, like, oh, it's so cringy. And you're like, oh, my goodness. Like, man, Saul, you need some help. <laughs> the one thing I can't get my head around with these people in the Old Testament is they've, they've seen God work, and they understand what God is, like, mm-hmm. what the Lord says he is, that he is above all things, the one true creator of everything. Mm-hmm. And they still put him on an even playing field to these other gods. I just can't get my yeah. head around it. These other gods are like ants to God. Mm-hmm. Like they're, they're not even a competition. And That's these true. people know it. <laughs> and they still decide to worship these other gods. Yeah. It, it amazes me. Well, and really it comes <laughs> down to gods. He's, he's showing his faithfulness to them and offering yeah. them an opportunity for them to trust him. Mm. And that's the same for us today. I mean, yeah. it just looks more like in the area of money, right? Or other things. Like, That's true. I God's... can't go five minutes without my cell phone. <laughs> yeah, right? That makes it an idol. <laughs> Boom. Just like that. Don't have any other idols. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, it's more just like our heart position, but it is like this thing of like, will you trust God? Yeah. I mean, with COVID happening last year, there was kind of like this big test of everyone's heart of like, mm. okay, all this crazy stuff, crazy stuff is happening. Yep. Will you trust God? Like, mm. and the thing is, is health was is no longer a guarantee mm. finances aren't a guarantee so all this stuff is up in the air but at the end of the day it's like do we trust god yeah so yeah that's good, so good good challenge so sometimes we look at the the bible and you're like oh like these guys are stupid but it's good to kind of even yeah. understand what that looks like today that's as well. true because yeah. i sometimes you know we, we got the benefit <laughs> of hindsight right here because we true. know we have the whole bible <laughs> yeah we got the whole bible um i mean one, one of the other things in the bible you know we've got this whole thing of hindsight and and one thing that happens in the new testament is you got jesus and he um, he talks to Peter and he says, I want to use your boat so I can preach to these people off the edge of the water so mm-hmm. that we can get a, a larger crowd. I remember reading that and going, I'm pretty sure this guy doesn't need a boat. And like five <laughs> chapters, he's walking on water. <laughs> but he still asks Peter to use his boat. Yeah, and that just shows cool. God's heart of wanting to partner with us. Not yeah, because we that. need, not, not, not because he needs us but because he, he chooses to partner with us. He doesn't yeah. need the praise. He doesn't need the worship, but he mm-hmm. still chooses to, to work with us. You know, yeah. like he's, he's a so self-existing true. being mm-hmm. with all the power, infinitely powerful. Mm-hmm. And he, he still chooses to work with us. Yeah. It just amazes me. Well, and it all comes down to relationship. I, my favorite analogy with that is like, with like a mom choosing to bake with her little girl like she Mm. doesn't need her daughter to bake cookies in fact her daughter probably is going to make more of a mess and (laughs) it's going to take longer and it's going to be messy yeah but yeah the mom wants to do it because Mm. of the bonding experience with that and like there's just an intimacy in that so god wants to do that yeah yeah they're just after the heart so now we see david enters on the scene and so like that verse that you said god doesn't look at physical appearance but looks at the heart yeah and so it's interesting because all of his brothers are present except for him. Mm. And so God told Samuel to go and, yeah, basically find who the next king is. So he goes to um, the house of Jesse, and David's not even there. So he goes through all the sons. He's like, yep, the anointed one. Like, yeah, or, yeah, the guy who I feel like God's highlighting is even here. Like, mm. do you have any other sons? And Jesse's like, well, yeah, we have... Swan so yeah. son out in the fields, which, uh, I mean, just by that, we can see David probably doesn't have a great, like, relationship with his family. Mm. Like, the fact that he's out in the fields, not yeah. necessarily seen as significant. Um, we see it, some echoes of that in the Psalms. Um, mm. Not going to go too much in that, but... But it was definitely... Yeah. He definitely had a soft heart. Yeah. So if you think of like, I mean, I've got a few friends here and there that de- that have very very soft hearts, mm-hmm. and I'm almost like you know, you know, grow up here, you know, mm-hmm. just man up a little bit. And can you imagine somebody with a soft heart back in these days, mm-hmm. where it wasn't like today? It's very much accepted to mm-hmm. ha- to have the soft heart, mm-hmm. um, but back then it would be like just man up, man. This guy's all feelings he's all emotion and you see that throughout all of the psalms like yeah. da- david has he's got a lot of emotions he plays um the, the musical instruments as well and he's singing to the lord and things like that and that would be very much like today 
you'd be thinking, man, this guy's would would be with Taylor Swift writing <laughs> writing all the love songs, and you're going, uh, <laughs> but um, like today, it's accepted, mm-hmm. so we we understand it today. But we've got to look at it in the eyes of back when when this was written. That culture wasn't accepting. Definitely wouldn't have been accepting of somebody who had that much emotion and brought it brought it to light. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's hard to fully know, but at least the hints that we do see in the Psalms, um, in Psalm 27, it talks about, in verse 10, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Mm. So, um, yeah, I mean, we can see there's a lot of interesting dynamics in his family. And, I mean, kind of just throwing a little bit of a a spin out there. um, Yeah. And later on in the book, it actually talks about how the king of Nahash has um, two daughters, which, if you look at the genealogy of David, are his two sisters. So it's possible there was some interesting Mm. um, mix of even family stuff. So, like, his father, like, his mom basically was with both Jesse, but then king of Nahash. But Yeah, so there, there was even brokenness in the family. And even in Psalm 51, we kind of we get stuck on that verse that talks about how from like from birth I was a sinner. Um, sometimes we're like, oh well, that means we're all sinners from birth. But it's possible maybe he was born out of wed- wedlock or something. Mm. So who knows what that story was? It would make a lot of sense if his father semi disowned him if he wasn't really his son. Exactly. Um, yeah. And was like I oh, sort of like a stepson sort of Yeah. Throw it, him off to the side. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. There's kinda of like a shame attached yeah. to it. I mean, those are just some bits. I'm not going to make a theology based on that, nah. <laughs> but it's just kind of good to understand like David wasn't this cookie cutter perfect guy. Yeah. He had a messy life just like us. Mm. And it's good to even yeah, look a bit more into those details and be like, wow, like there is mm. more to the story here. So yeah, God sees David's heart and he's like, I I want to appoint him as the next king. And the thing is, Saul is still king at this time, so it's not until um they say fifteen years later mm. that from when he was anointed as king to when he actually became king. Um, so just keep that in mind. It's a long time. So then we come up on the, the story of David and Goliath. And uh, I know a lot of people will preach on this, but just wanted to highlight some details. Basically, um, yeah, we see Saul. He was the tallest guy. He's one of two people in the entire army of Israel who had a sword. Um, that actually was earlier in the, the scripture. Um, it talks about how with this new technology, so they were in the Bronze Age, and they um, basically were transfer, uh, transferring everything to the Iron Age. Um, and so it was only Saul and his son Jonathan that had the sword, a sword in the entire nation. Wow. So when we look at the story of David and Goliath... What'd they fight with? Um, probably like plowshares and like maybe farming equipment stuff. or wow. Or even they did have bronze swords, but... Um, they would often bend. They weren't very sharp, mm. so you'd only use it a couple times. So really, that's that makes sense why the Israelites wanted a king like the other nations. They wanted mm. a military leader. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> so they saw these, and so they were led by fear, which <laughs> I think is a good challenge for us. Of like, even when we're afraid, like, are we going to still trust in God, mm. or are we going to tr- 
put our faith in all these our circumstances and yeah. make the problem bigger than everything else. Um, but yeah, so when we look at the story, we're like, okay, Goliath is this huge guy, um, and we forget about okay, well, who is the natural candidate here? Who's the person who's actually supposed to go up against Goliath? Mm. Who is supposed to protect the p- nation of Israel? And like, what what would like? Who do you think would be the perfect person to go against Goliath? At least Saul. Yeah, pick one of the ones with the sword. Exactly, and he has <laughs> like he's been going on mil- military yeah. campaigns. He this should have been a piece of cake to yeah. him. Um, I mean, there is a really cool TED pod uh, TED. Um, a clip on YouTube that goes into the story of David and Goliath, which is really fun to look into. Um, but there's even some um, possibilities that because Goliath was a giant, he could have had like a tumor in his brain, which would have basically prevented his body from um, just working properly. And so like his bike basically just kept on growing. So that's why he was so tall. Uh, uh, like we don't necessarily know, but there are people with that condition today. Um, I have done a bit of a study on this, David and Goliath. Yeah, and um, which uh, nation is he from? Is it the Ananites? No, he's actually from the Philistines, which the we Philistines. saw earlier. Right, they took the the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Um, there's a. Um, it's one of. I think it's. Maybe it wasn't the Ananites, but there's a uh, a line that in another book where it talks about actually Goliath's relatives, mm-hmm. and um, they so that's in the end end of the book, yeah. But they link them to the Ananites, um, and it might not be the Ananites, but it's one of these ites, hmm. and um, and then in, in another area, it talks about I think it's Noah's um, daughter-in-law. Uh, potentially was Nephilim, oh, um, yeah. and that she was the tribe that links to those two people. So, because it says that there were Nephilim in the in the days, like the giants in, mm-hmm. in the days of the flood, or before the flood, and then it says there were Nephilim after as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they a lot less of them because they got wiped out with the flood. Mm-hmm. However, this one person carried that gene that mm-hmm. kept them growing, kept them going. On throughout, and they think that David uh, Goliath's line is from this. Interesting. And oh. but it gets watered out, so these giants actually get smaller and smaller as they go on. Mm-hmm. So um, the giants back in the day, I mean, there's one reference where it says they were like grasshoppers to them. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge. That's a lot different comparison to um, if, if that's literal. Mm-hmm. That that means they're about a hundred feet tall, a hundred meters tall. You know, yeah. huge. I don't know if it's actually talking about that, but yeah, I mean, yeah. it is interesting. They were tall, and it's good that you brought up the Canaanites because mm. um, the Israelites probably were pro- like intimidated by Goliath, partly because mm. they were also intimidated by the people of yeah. Canaan. So, yeah, I mean, who who actually knows? Because uh, um, what the, that is, but. Yeah, yeah, the reason I, st- I talk about the, the tumor thing, and I, I'm not sure if it would be accurate, is because th- those people exist today, and they have these growth disorders. Mm-hmm. But they often but will they die can move. early. But they so. can move as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, uh, they can't move. Mm-hmm. They struggle to walk because they're so big mm-hmm. and things like that. And they, uh, I think the tallest man in the world needed these crutches to, to walk around. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where 
you've got it has the description here on what Goliath's welding like mm-hmm. he is a it strong is. strong man yeah. who is 12 feet tall is mm-hmm. it yeah and so he maybe he did have that that tumor but by the sounds of it i think he's part of this race that brings that has that is is actually pretty demonic mm-hmm. and um and it's, david says goliath's got five brothers right four brothers yeah well and that, it's interesting because they're I guess I don't want to get too caught up in certain details, but we do see there are five kingdoms in the Philistines. Mm. So I'm willing to bet the author was getting at this idea of, like, ultimately through the legacy that David brought, that he was he spurred on even people after him to mm. conquer these nations who were coming up against. Um, For sure. Yeah, so we see there were, um, yeah, five different brothers at the end of, um, yeah, Second Samuel. So, mm. pretty cool. Because there's another person that kills one of Goliath's brothers later on in the mm. Bible. Uh, yeah, it's multiple people. It's, um, yeah, David's mighty men. But well, I guess we'll get to that a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know. You're so caught <laughs> so up. So many good things, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so basically, I guess with this, this tumor... It could have also affected Goliath's eyesight, which we see he had um, an armor bearer with him, and he actually had to lead him out into the battlefield. So we often look at the story and think, oh, like, yeah, this is no match between, like, David and Goliath, but ultimately, um, Goliath was kind of a sitting duck. (laughs) And Mm. so he was expecting um, David to come up against him with a sword, but um, ultimately... David used the slingshot, which mm. he was actually better at that. Yeah. And it's interesting because Saul came from the tribe of Benjamin, which at the end of Judges says that there were 600 men who were, like, amazing with the slingshot. So mm. Saul was, it, like, we see the story from all different angles, that Saul is the one who's supposed to take down Goliath, and instead he basically hands the kingdom over to, to David in this wow. story. Uh, and it's interesting because as a reward, Saul was like, hey, you can marry one of my daughters, which basically puts David in that position to take mm. over the throne. So it's it's funny how there's a bit of an irony in this story. Um, mm. Yeah, that kind of comes up. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just wanted to highlight some other details that we often don't see when we read this story. Um, but I think it's a really good lesson even because... I think a lot of times we might have fears or be intimidated by certain circumstances, kind of like Goliath. But at the end of the day, a lot of it is just smoke and mirrors. Mm. <laughs> and, and that's why it's so good to recognize like our God, like the God on, who's working in and through us and who's with us, mm. um, is so much bigger and stronger and can overcome Mm. the biggest of giants and he's so much bigger than yeah. Goliath so it's an encouragement for us to to even apply that to our lives for sure um so yeah as we move along in the story we see David um has this amazing friendship bond with Saul's son Jonathan um so there might have been some words floating around that oh like David is an illegitimate king because you know, he did all these things to position himself to be to take over the throne from Saul. And so the author is very explicitly showing that, in fact, it was the exact opposite. Mm. Um, and so, 
yeah, David had this amazing friendship with Jonathan. Um, and um, it's actually, there's a lot of thoughts that there was actually, like, quite an age gap between the two. Like, Jonathan probably was, like, 30 years old when he was, like, when David was, like, a young lad. So he's probably, like, an older brother to him. Mm. Um, yeah, and it's, and so we see he's very protective over him. And so as the story pans out, basically, uh, it talks about how the Spirit of the Lord kind of is lifted off of Saul. And so, um, basically, it's just the anointing. So when David was anointed, and um, that went off of Saul and went mm. on to David. And so, basically, Saul becomes more and more of a madman. Um, he becomes super jealous of David. Um, there are these women who sing about David and say, how Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Mm. So instantly Saul's just mm. at, like absolutely jealous of him. So they're um, in chapter eighteen, verse eleven, talks about how David evaded um, Saul twice. So Saul tried to kill him with a spear. So there's two different occasions when that happened. Um, and so then basically David realizes very quickly that Saul's determined to kill him. He tells Jonathan, and Jonathan's like, oh, no, like, my dad wouldn't do that. And um, basically, they test that theory. Um, David basically doesn't show up at a a great feast, and um, Saul is furious to the point where he, like, basically um, badmouths Jonathan and is actually attempts to kill Jonathan as well. So Jonathan is very, he sees, like, oh, man, yep. Wow. My dad's really after David. So he goes back and has a secret message to David. And so they they, ha- they have the signal, and then they meet together and basically is like, hey, I'm, it's very clear my dad's going to try to kill you, so mm. I think you need to leave. So they basically make this oath to one another saying, like, we will, um, yeah, we will honor one another. We will fight for one another's families. And even to our, our the next generation, we will be faithful to one another. Um, and we see that lived out even when David becomes king, mm. uh, which is super cool. Um, yeah. And so in chapter 21, we see David flees. And uh, we actually see the fulfillment of that prophecy earlier about uh, Eli's sons ended up dying by the sword. So David basically, he's on the run, and he's like, oh man, I need provisions. So he stops by um, the house of God, and he tells the priest, he's like, hey, can you offer me some holy bread? And like, that's a big no-no, but he's like, oh, well, yeah, I guess I can give you some. Uh, there'll be more fresh bread later on. And so Saul sees that as a conspiracy, and so he's like, oh, like these... Um, not only is David going against me, but then my priest is. So he actually sends someone out to kill all the priests. And Whoa. only one escapes. And this was all prophesied at the beginning of the book. Um, so one escapes and goes back to David. And David is heartbroken because he realizes what he did actually ended up, um, yeah, causing all, the death of all these priests. Wow. Which is pretty intense. Um, but, yeah, basically this priest ends up going to David and so as David flees, he ends up, <laughs> like, it, his group ends up expanding and growing to the point where they're just, like, this whole group wandering around. Um, and they're basically trying to fend for their lives. Um, Saul's ha- sending out all these military campaigns to hunt him down. 
So he has this crazy wilderness experience. Mm. But this is also the time when David comes across his mighty men, the people mm. who are very loyal to him while he becomes king, um, which I would, uh, God highlighted that a lot to me during last year when things were pretty crazy with COVID. And oftentimes I think when we're in those quote-unquote wilderness seasons, yeah. we get kind of caught up in, okay, well, I'll have amazing blessings after this season, but it's yeah. definitely not in the middle of it. <laughs> and oftentimes it's during those seasons that God can give you some of the greatest gifts. Mm. And so I, I really see this season of David finding his mighty men as being such a huge blessing because mm. I, I don't see... Yeah, that, like, happening at any other point. Like, I can't imagine, like, there would have been that same kind of loyalty if people, if you just was making, and mm. people just kind of, yeah. like, were like, oh, he, he's in power, so I just want to, like, mm. honor him. But these were people who were willing to sacrifice their life for him. So yeah. they were, like, these, like, awesome, like, band of brothers who were, like, going to fight with him to the death. Um, so yeah, basically, um, there were, so during this time when they're getting away from Saul, um, there were, uh, two occasions where David actually had the opportunity to kill Saul. So Saul basically went to this cave and tried to relieve himself. And (laughs) it's funny because, um, as he's relieving himself, the men, so David and his men were actually in the cave and they were like, and so his men whispers in his ear and he's like, Hey, God has given you the chance to, to kill him. Like, do it now. And so David is like, um, he actually goes up to Saul. And so this is in chapter 24, verse 5. And it, it says that he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And it kind of, like, when I look at that, I'm like, that actually is very similar to when Saul tried to rip um, the robe of Samuel and Samuel's like, I'm tearing the, the kingdom from you. Wow, and yeah. it's this kind of this cool picture that we see, like this kingdom being ripped from Saul and yeah. given to David. Uh, but even we see David, like he has this huge repentant heart and he immediately repents and he's like, oh my goodness, I can't touch the Lord's anointed. So that's how much like wow. he loves the Lord. He's like, he can't even like fathom the idea of um, going against um, this man who really has been pretty, like, messed up and has yeah. tried to kill him multiple times. He, like, David is so convicted that he's not even, like, wow. wants to even touch Saul. He's got a real fear of the Lord, David, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah, and it really comes down to his relationship with God. Mm. Um, yeah, and so then we see that again later on in chapter 26. Um, basically, he sticks a... Um, a spear and a jar of water next to Saul's head. <laughs> and this is in uh, 26 verse 12. And basically it, it was to show how he sp- spared his life a second time. Yeah. So, spared his life. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, and so both times, yeah, basically he was going to kill Saul or he could have killed Saul. Saul continues to chase him. He could have killed Saul again. Mm. And both times, basically, Saul was like, oh, I've come to my senses. Like, I shall spare you. Um, so, yeah. Basically, it's just really cool to see a bit of, um, yeah, their character shine through. Like, oftentimes, we think, oh, like, they're a mm. great person. But until they go through some pretty hard stuff, that's yeah. when you really see their character shine. And so we see a lot of David's character shine 
trying mm. in the midst of a really hard hard season. Um, so basically, just kind of glaze over the last bit for Samuel. Um, so there's a lot that goes on. He uh, David continues to be in the wilderness and actually um, finds um, uh, safety with the Philistines, ironically enough. <laughs> but wow. um, just shows uh, after that after slaughtering uh, Goliath, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Uh, and actually, I mean, he does circumcise 200 Philistines for as a um, wedding gift for marrying Saul's daughter. Yeah, how do you um, <laughs> how do you show that one? Two? Yeah, I know. <laughs> It'd be interesting, but yeah. So we see um, God was so in like over David that He protects him, and so He even is like living the Philistines, but God's still with mm. him. Um, but yeah, basically, at the end of First um, Samuel. We see Saul ends up dying. Um, so the night before his death, he basically um, goes and tries to seek counsel from um, a medium. And he, ironically enough, he actually um, uh, outlawed mediums from the whole kingdom. So there were basically these witches that summon up spirits or whatever. And and so then, so he outlawed it, and then he goes to one to try to summon up yeah. Saul or Samuel's spirit because she reluctantly did yeah. it. Though. She did <laughs> yeah. not want to do it. Yeah, and she she figured out who he was afterwards, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, there's a lot of questions around that. Um, I do think it really was Samuel because even she was in shock. Mm. Um, so there, there's a lot and, of questions around that, and the but, way the spirit reacted. Yeah, he, you know really why have you brought me back? Yeah. Sort of thing. So, but I'm not going to go down that too much because we, yeah. we don't have too much time. That's but true. yeah, it is it is interesting. Um, and even in the midst of that, like I think um, that's chapter 28. Yeah, Anybody wants 28. to read that? 28 but, First Samuel. Yeah, it's just crazy because um, I don't know. Like, so even afterwards, she like feeds him this fatting calf. So this is kind of like his last supper, mm. and I think oh, just really. Like, cool how God even, like, he didn't have to do any of that. But he still, like, gave opportunities for Saul individually mm. to repent, to yeah. turn to God, um, even the day before he dies. And Saul is still very stubborn. Um, so, yeah, basically, in 31, he ends up dying. Um, it was, he basically committed suicide because he, uh, he didn't want the Philistines to kill him. So, he fell on his own sword. Mm. Um and in in Second Samuel, someone basically takes ownership for that. They were like, "Oh, I killed Saul." And the idea was they thought David was like these other kings, where they thought he would have wanted um, like someone to kill Saul. Mm. Um, and so they thought, "Oh, maybe I will gain David's favor by mm. saying that I killed Saul." And that is not which, David's heart. <laughs> which would make sense because this guy was trying to kill David. You'll think yeah. David, David, but yeah, nah, mm-hmm. David knew. Yeah, David knew, and so he actually was put to death. But in the next scene, we see David actually has this whole lament towards um, both Saul and Jonathan. And mm. that just shows so much of his heart that, like, even when his, like, the very people, like, the very person who tried to kill multiple times, that he, ba- that, and basically robbed him, like, 15 years of his life. Like, mm. he was on the run for 15 years. Like, that's the majority <laughs> of most of our lives. Like, yeah. that's a long time. And yet, um, yeah, he had so much compassion. I can just see so much of Jesus, like how he had compassion on the very mm. people who killed him just through David's life. Um, I think that that's a really cool thing to point mm. out just because, I mean, 
um, Jesus is known to be the son of David. Um, and it all goes back to how David had a heart after God. Yeah, um, it always comes to that, doesn't it? Like, yeah, exactly. If you've got a heart after God, you're going to have a heart after people. And yeah, you're going to have a exactly. heart after your enemies, even the souls in your life that are trying to kill you. Yeah. You're going to still love them. Exactly. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's it's very, yeah, very fascinating. Um, and just really cool to see his heart. Um, so um, basically there's a lot of bloodshed. I think Second Samuel is very hard for a lot of people, people to navigate. Um, but just to understand, like, there's a lot of stories that's basically supporting that David still has the same heart posture. There's a lot Mm. of his men that basically strike out against Saul's men, and David rebukes all those situations. So that's, in a nutshell, what happens the first Mm. five chapters or so. And then David's anointed king. And it's so cool because he actually, um, when he was appointed king, um, or, sorry, he wasn't anointed king. He was made king. Um, but around that time, he actually um, uh, asked for uh, if there was anyone um, in Saul's family that he could bless. And um, there's this beautiful story of Jonathan's son, who is this crippled kid. Um, so mm. he, when he was five years old, that's when um, basically the, the fall of Saul happened. And so then, um, yeah, but, uh, he, um, so th- he was fleeing, um, so his, um, like the, the maiden of, um, of Mephibosheth basically picked him up and was like, okay, we need to like run to safety. And she basically ended up, uh, falling, uh, so this is in, in chapter four, um, verse four. Um, and basically, he ended up, uh, so when she fell, he ended up becoming lame. And so he mm. uh, was crippled. And so regardless of who, like, his, um, yeah, basically his state, um, we see David still honors his word to Jonathan. Um, we see later on in chapter 9, um, so he asks if there's anyone that he had blessed in the house of Jonathan. And so Mephibosheth ends up being brought forth. And, um, and in verse, in chapter nine, verse seven, he says, um, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you and all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. That's so cool. Yeah. What a cool picture. That sounds, uh, kind of familiar Mm -hmm. to where we're heading to be with the table table yeah. with christ yeah at the wedding feast i heard this one or i had a student comment on this once where they were like well when you're sitting at a table like he's crippled so mm. but like when you're at a table you wouldn't see that you just no. see that they're a person yeah. and i think that's like such a reflection of god's heart for us like he invites us to the great banquet and yeah. he doesn't see us for our flaws he's like i yeah I and also uh, regarding the lamb and being jesus was the the perfect unblemished no defect lamp. Yeah, exactly. And then he's inviting all the ones with defects. Exactly. To sit with him at yeah. the king's table. Even yeah. the lame ones. Even the ones that can't walk. Yeah. And yeah. and really Mephibosheth had nothing to offer. Yeah. And I think that's just so cool. Because like, I mean, especially during this day and age, if you had any defects, any disabilities, you were considered an outcast. You mm. were, um, yeah, like. Yeah, not sitting with the king. Yeah. No. Yeah, and but it's just like it's crazy to think about because I mean in this day and age we 
have such an amazing technology that we can compensate for those things. Yeah. But it was actually a real struggle during mm. that time. And so, yeah, you we were... And so the fact that David invited him to his banquet table is, like, huge. Um, but, yeah, just such a cool cool picture of the gospel, just even in David's story. Um, so, yeah, basically he's a made king. We have the story of the Ark of the Covenant. And when um, the Ark was brought in, it was um, on a cart, basically end up falling off the cart and someone touched it and so there's all this uproar <laughs> and so yeah. david we see even still he had this huge repentant heart and he basically um yeah like wanted to make sure they did the right way so the next time they actually did the right way mm. and not only that but in verse seven god basically is like oh god like he he prays to god and he's like Oh, like you're out in the tent while I'm in this palace. Like I want a house for you, mm. and so God, so God sees his heart, and he's like, "Wow, like not only am I going to bless you with a house, or like, yeah, ultimately, like he he makes a covenant with him and saying, like I'm going to establish a kingdom, mm. a dynasty that you're there's going to be a kingdom from your line that's going to rest on on for eternity. Mm. Um, so. Yeah, it's really cool because even, like, when we try to bless God or, like, it's so small in comparison, God can mm. take that and makes it into something even bigger. Yeah. Um, and so covenant is huge. This is an, another um, key bit in this part of the story because the, the Israelites really lean into this, especially the kingdom of, or the, um, the uh, I guess, the tribe of Judah, which mm. later becomes the southern kingdom of Israel. Um, but yeah, basically there's like this, um, uh, this immediate fulfillment of this through, uh, Solomon, his son. Mm. Um, but later on we see that it's ultimately fulfilled through Jesus. Mm. Um, so this is kind of pointing to the Messiah. Um, but yeah, or yeah, like in the Israelites mind, they'd be like, okay, we need this King. Um, so it's good to be aware of that. Um, and then we have the tragic story of David and Bathsheba, not even that much longer after that. Um, and so in chapter 11, yeah, all this stuff happens. Um, it's actually a pretty bad story because it's not just some random dude with his wife. It was actually one of his mighty men. Mm. <laughs> and so he basically sees um, uh, Bathsheba, taking a bath on her rooftop, which was probably a purification ceremony. Um, so she wasn't doing anything scandalous, trying to tempt David. She was just doing her thing. Um, it's possible that because David's palace was elevated, that's why he could see him, which kind oh, of yeah. is, is an ironic thing. But, yeah, I mean, God even said he didn't want the kings to have a surplus of wealth and, and wives, wives yeah. and all that, so... We see that David kind of is drifting a little bit in this story. Mm. Maybe some things got to his head. Um, but this was also, just to keep things into perspective, this was many years after he was made king. Mm. We kind of read this right after he was made king, but it really was actually after a long period of time. Mm. So he could have been as old as, like, 50 years old. <laughs> um, but, yeah, basically his big no-no. Um, and so he tries to cover it up, and then he ends up killing Uriah. And then he's, um, and so he's like, sleep, he sleeps with Bathsheba, um, and they have a son, but then God basically is like, um, 
he sends Nathan the prophet to confront him. And so Nathan basically uses this analogy of this rich man stealing the, this little lamb from this, this poor man and uh, ends up killing it. And so David, being a shepherd, is furious. And he's like, mm. this man should be punished for this. Like, he should die. Um, which, I mean, the fact that he was that furious about that, actually, I mean, he could have died from it. Um, but God actually is very merciful to him. Um, ultimately, so eventually um, the son of Bathsheba ends up dying. Um, and I think it was actually a good thing because, I mean, I don't think God necessarily wants death, but I think there would have been a lot of shame on that son. Um, and so I think, and even like that son will have been a reminder. So um, I think it was actually very merciful that God allowed the son to die. But then we see um, basically David like contends for the son. And after he realizes, yeah, the son has, son has passed away, he ends up basically mm. washing himself, anointing himself. And so he went from these sackcloth and ashes, and then he ends up cleaning himself up to worship the Lord, which is such yeah. a beautiful thing. Actually, um, says, um, so is this around... This is chapter 12, verse 20. Yeah, one of the, one of the great things that he says in, in 22, mm-hmm. um, uh, Samuel 2, 12, 22, is... Um, is a bit of a uh, foreshadow to, to to prove that we do see our loved ones when we die. And especially if we do lose a child and maybe um, some miscarriage or something like that, that we, we will still see it. Because it says um, here, he answered, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead... Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will let I'll let him go. I'll let him go to him, but he will not return. Oh, sorry. Can I bring him back? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So in other mm-hmm. words, David's saying, I don't need to mourn anymore. I'm going to end up going to see my son one day. Mm-hmm. I know my son's not coming back to me, but I'm going to go to him. Yeah, and yeah. it's it's really neat um, that the Bible actually points that out mm-hmm. and goes, you know, like even the loved ones that you did lose from an early age or or whatever that you're gonna it's it's never goodbye. It's always see you soon, mm-hmm. um, and that that gives a lot of people a lot of hope. That mm-hmm. that verse there, and it's very clear. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, actually, like the afterlife, the concept of afterlife was very different in that time. Um, David will often hint at, like, going to Sheol. But, yeah, I mean, so he at least acknowledged that, like, he was going to die too, and mm. he didn't necessarily know what it would look like. But, yeah. yeah. And it is, yeah, it's interesting to point that out. So, yeah, basically, um, so it's really cool because God's very merciful in David's life. And then not only that, but Solomon, who is the second son of Bathsheba, ends up being the next to to reign as king, mm. which is very different than, you know, because um, it should be the eldest, right? But mm. there are many brothers who are older than him who definitely have a right to the throne, and yep. that doesn't happen. Um, and so I'm sure Solomon definitely had an understanding of God's mercy. Mm. I think um, 
we see he was very young when he started to reign, so he mm. definitely had... Um, was it 12? I can't quite remember. Something like that? Yeah, it was pretty young. But he definitely was like, okay, like, God, you're, you're much bigger than me. Like, I need mm. your help with this, which I think... Yeah, it's good to have that mentality when you're leading a kingdom. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately, we see all this drama ended up ends up unfolding in David's own family. So mm. even though like his life was spared, um, there were consequences to mm. his actions. So we see his son um, Amon basically rapes his daughter Tamar. So things get from bad to worse. So. Just like how he slept with Bathsheba, one of his sons sleeps with his daughter. Then um, the brother of Tamar, so there's multiple wives, so they were immediate siblings. Uh, The brother of Tamar, um, Absalom, ends up killing Amon. So there's all this drama that takes out. And and that's just like how David killed Uriah the Hittite. Mm. So we see how... um, sin multiplies in this yeah. family. And that, and we see that with sin throughout the whole Bible already, and mm. even in our own lives, that when we let sin take root in our lives, it ends up multiplying in negative mm. ways. Um, but and The opposite's true yeah, as well. Where mm. sin abounds, grace abounds all the more, which yeah. I think is so cool to see the flip side of that mm. in the New Testament. But we see kind of, yeah, the negative impact of sin in, in this story. So, I was I was meaning yeah. um, regarding blessing. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you know when we focus on God and we <clears throat> focus on on the fruits and 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 producing the fruits of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of that in Galatians five twenty two. Um, that that's what brings um, that stability and that constant state of peace that we have regardless on how shaky our life is mm-hmm. where when we go and if we focus on the sin um and allow it to multiply in our lives and allow that to take control then that shakes the boat so hard that we we feel out of control all the mm-hmm. time but then the opposite happens with when you focus on just the spirit and being led by the spirit and being led by the flesh yeah absolutely so yeah i mean um and I think that's the cool thing. We we do see, like, yes, there's all those negative impacts of sin in David's family. But at the very end of Second Samuel, you see the um, the magnitude of, um, yeah, ultimately the, the blessings and the uh, inheritance that he, David gets to pass on in the mm. kingdom. So, yes, he does me- mess up. And with great power comes great responsibility. But we do see he actually yes, is... Yes, man Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we see that ultimately, like, he's actually the template that all of the good kings of Israel is mm. compared to. So he does... And I think it's really cool, like, that the Israelites don't shy away from this history. I think mm. in a lot of history of a lot of rulers, like Pharaoh or whatever, they always make themselves out to these perfect, like... Um, untouchable people and they will actually I, I know in Egypt the different pharaohs will erase the history of previous pharaohs because they want to look really good so wow. it's a very hard to trace uh, Egyptian history because of that Wow. <laughs> um, and but it's so cool because the Israelites are aware that ultimately God mm. is the, the one that is like perfect and untainted mm. and so they don't shy away from mistakes mm. and sin uh, which is kind of cool to see that Um, yeah Uh, and it's also encouraging I think for us to see David's life and be like 
you can mess up big time mm-hmm. and God still will have enough grace for you to, yeah. to repent and turn back to him, which I think is yeah. a really awesome message, I think, for mm-hmm. today. And yeah, <laughs> which is, yeah, yeah. super encouraging. Um, and he's known not as like the best king of Israel, but as a man after God's own heart, mm-hmm. which is so cool. Um, so yeah, I think that's basically what I want to cover in the story. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that happens with his son's Absalom. He basically goes off the deep end, tries to take over the kingdom. And so what's so cool is even in the midst of all these people trying to take the kingdom of David is um, basically the the kingdom is secure in David's hands. And so we see that what God has promised David um, ends up Mm. basically being fulfilled. Um, And so then at the very end, it mentions all of his mighty men. And Mm. there's a beautiful song of... um, of David and it just like ends on this beautiful note where um and there's an interesting story at the very end which I'm not going to go too much into but the nutshell of it is that basically David sins and and there's some speculation of uh cuz in um in the chronicles it talks about how um uh Satan rose up against uh Israel Whereas in in for Second Samuel it talks about how God rose up against Israel, basically like David, like regardless of all that, um, David messed up. <laughs> so um, we see that um, David chooses to ended up uh, he builds an altar for the Lord um, on this threshing floor, and this person um, a Jebusite basically is like, oh, like I can give it to you for free. And David says, um, at the end of chapter 24, uh, verse 24, it says, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, that cost me nothing. Um, And what's so cool is, so he builds this offer to the Lord in response to his sin. And and this is the same place uh, where the temple is later built. And this is not that far from the very place that... Um, Jesus died on the cross. It was also in the same region that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. So it's mm. so cool to see these echoes, um, even in this big redemptive story of mm. how God, um, his grace is sufficient. And mm. um, and so, yeah, and ultimately God wants our hearts. And, he, and even David tapped into this concept of like, he God doesn't want us to just give him empty things, but mm. he he wants um, a sacrifice that actually costs us something. Yeah, and so yeah, so cool to see the story end on that. Mm. Um, yeah, crazy, crazy stuff. The last chapter, I find uh, something that's that's unique to David is um, when he stuffs up. God gives him actually three options of a of punishment. Mm-hmm. It says, you know, you can choose what has he got here? He's got fleeing war. Yeah. Yeah, what is it? Fleeing from your enemies. Yeah, fleeing from your enemies, war or in famine. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm sure after fleeing from Saul for fifteen years, he probably was just fed up with all that. <laughs> and so yeah. he picked the three days of pestilence, I guess. Um yeah, what is it, a plague? Yeah, like a plague of sorts. <laughs> yeah, so that um, probably would 
wipe out a lot of people, but it'll be done and dusted in three days. Yeah, which is um, pretty nice. <laughs> rather than three years of running from your enemies oh. and lots of people dying or or three years of a famine. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's just so interesting that God actually allowed him, like, like obviously... To like, choose, yeah. David and God had a very close relationship. Yeah. So close that he not only, like, revealed his blessings to him, but also when he stuffed up, he's like... I'm going to punish you, and you got option A, B, and C to choose from. Yeah. Which door would you like? <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, it's, it's so such funny. a weird conversation that David would have had. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, okay, we really weigh this up. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we are done for this episode. Thank you, Rose. Yeah, awesome. Incredible. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, very, very, very neat um, going through all of King David and, and what he did in his life. And I think, I mean, I definitely, for one, can relate a lot to what he went through um and that's what the cool thing about uh david is he is a king and god doesn't find the souls to be king who have the muscles and and the the look of a king but he he circum- finds that the people with the hearts that are circumcised where they're breathing out and they're living out god's sort of passion and God's lifestyle and goes like you know this is the person that that is going to to listen to me when when I when I speak most of the time <laughs> and if they don't I'm going to give them a b or c for, <laughs> for the punishment cool awesome um join us next time on the Jesus magnet and we will be back again with Rose and maybe some new guests I think for the next couple of episodes yeah, pretty cool all right see you on the next time on the Jesus magnet <laughs>